Welcome to MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the truth behind medical research with unbiased, evidence-proven facts, powered by Encore Research Group and hosted by cardiologist and top medical researcher, Dr. Michael Corin. So it's my distinct pleasure and privilege to have a wonderful guest and a dear friend join us today for our MedEvidence podcast, Dr. Lisa Kirvin-Dawes. And I've known Lisa for a very long time. We were actually partners together in medical school at Beth Israel Hospital in Boston mm-hmm. back in the good old days when our when our hair was the same color. <laughs> <laughs> true, very true. Yeah. So, uh, and Lisa has been somebody that I've learned a lot from over the years, and um, she's here visiting us in Northeast Florida, and uh, she has really uh, consented to have this conversation with me about one of the areas of her expertise and I'll let her introduce herself in terms of her credentials. But her, one of the areas of her expertise is on healthcare worker burnout and some of the challenges. Lisa has a degree in public health as well as an MD. And um, she can tell you a little bit more about that, but she works in a hospital system in Jamaica where there's been some very, very interesting findings about healthcare uh, worker burnout. And I think that are broadly applicable to healthcare workers all around the world. So Lisa, thank you for joining us in MedEvidence and tell our audience a little bit about your background and, and what you do day to day and how you got interested in this problem of worker burnout in the healthcare industry. Well, you just said I went to Harvard with you. I didn't actually say that, but you have said that. We both went to Harvard uh, Medical School. Um, well, okay. So in Jamaica, I presently I hold several posts. One of the posts, um, infection control, quasi-infectious diseases. I also do palliative care. I'm past chair of medicine. But presently, that's what I do now. Now, in the presence of COVID in the last few years, we were hit pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Jamaica was hit pretty hard. Um, And being a poorer country, developing country, poorer developing country, we pretty much had to do everything with very little money. And we did not really get much of an increase in staff. We had a lot of ill staff. We started noticing a lot of burnout. We, I mentioned to Dr. Corin that interestingly enough, I did a brief study at our hospital in terms of burnout in our staff and we used an anxiety index. And we found that the people that were suffering the most was the ancillary staff, which surprised all of us. We expected the nurses and the doctors, but it was mostly the ancillary staff. And when we spoke to them... You said the porters in particular. So we're back from our little break, and um, uh, you were making comments about the survey that you did. And I'm very impressed by, uh, by the fact that you actually did a scientific survey you didn't just talk to a couple of people and come up with your recommendations, but you actually looked at a broader group of people and discovered that the ancillary staff was having the worst time with burnout related to COVID. And interestingly, it was the porters mm-hmm. and people who were transporting people from different places in the hospital that seemed to be most affected. It was the porters, and we have ladies in pink, or what you would call here nurses, assistant mm-hmm. who would change the patients and help the porters. They, we sort of use them together a lot. And they were the ones 
um, suffering the, the most. It was a very, it's a small, it was a small study. It, we actually did the emergency room and the isolation room staff, all staff, and 100% of them returned the survey. Wow. And the feedback was they wanted me to do a bigger one and address some of their issues. And if, you, if our memory serves, we have about 800 people that work in your hospital? We have over 1,000. Wow. So it's a, it's a pretty big hospital. And um, the fact that certain groups are actually more affected actually makes a lot of sense because as a physician, we have a little bit more control over our day-to-day lives and we can control our interaction with patients that are on a COVID ward or in isolation but a porter or an assistant may not have that control. No, they don't. We They're just told where to go, what right. to do, who's coming in. I think when you talk to the, I mean, I have, I have interviews from some of the doctors mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to them, they actually felt very overwhelmed mm-hmm. um, watching sick people die in front of them and not knowing who's ill and who isn't. And of course, whether they'll get it, whether they'll die, we had quite a few of the doctors and nurses get quite ill. Unfortunately, in Jamaica, if you get COVID, medical staff gets no preference, hmm. which they were very upset about. And you don't have access to the antivirals and other therapies that we no, have here in the US? Not, no, we don't. We would have to bring them in and hmm. you pay for them privately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're not. And porters pro- probably can't pay for that. No, porters cannot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even getting them privately for people who can't afford it is sometimes difficult and who you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are really good reasons why people would experience anxiety and other, t- uh, other symptoms of burnout. Well, anything else? Any other findings in terms of what's going on in the current age and, and healthcare workers? expressing more and more burnout symptoms and more and more uh, early retirements and just need to take time off? Okay, so since, very interestingly, since COVID has been dying down, it was, Mm -hmm. now we're getting more cases, but it's not presenting the same way. Mm -hmm. We have found quite a few of the middle-aged doctors Mm -hmm. are just deciding they're doing something else. Mm The head of nephrology mm-hmm. actually quit three months ago mm-hmm. and said she just needs time for her family and mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. My friend who is infectious diseases is saying the same way and that she's thinking of just taking off time. Everybody is just exhausted. Mm-hmm. They're more anxious. They're not sleeping well. And there is not a great support system for that. Mm-hmm. We find the very young, though, like the 20-something-year-old nurses Mm -hmm. and doctors, Mm -hmm. they're having anxiety in a different way, I find. Mm -hmm. It's more like what they tell me. It's more can't sleep at night. Mm -hmm. But they don't feel particularly anxious during the day or Mm -hmm. having, but they're having more issues sleeping, Mm more palpitations where you can't find any uh, any other issues. Mm-hmm. I have someone when I go back to see who is suffering now with chronic pain syndrome and she's had the full workup and they said I can't find anything. Mm-hmm. Right. She's 23 years old. Sure. And all of this has occurred since COVID. Yeah. Well, I, I think there are also some broader trends with 
increasing complexity of the healthcare system. And you know, we had a conversation a couple of days ago that you know, some of the medical technologies, particularly information technologies that are there to quote, help us sometimes make our lives more difficult. And just the simple thing that when you're dealing with some modern software, the location of different buttons can change. Mm-hmm. And you see, you're, you're in a state of constantly being anxious about, okay, do I remember my username or password? Do I remember where that's located? Oh my God, there's a new version of this software. Or in my hospital, we have, you know, five different types of software that needs to be loaded to complete a note in cardiology because you have a different system for the EKGs and a different system for the echoes and a different system, system for nuclear imaging. And that's different than what you use for recording medical information. And that's different than the system that you used to sign off on notes, et cetera, et cetera. So just the complexity of the information technology and the fact that it's not always intuitive and the fact that you're moving from one place to another creates a lot of anxiety. So can sometimes I find myself saying, okay, let me remember who the patient is now because I now figured out how to write the note. But at this point, I'm almost forgetting what I started doing. So it's it can be very, very intimidating. But when you're dealing with that constantly, I can imagine that that would have some negative effects on your mental health. Very true. I think we have it. We are not as um, computerized as you are here. Mm-hmm. But we have our own issues. I heard and I said when I come back that the Wi-Fi is down on the isolation ward. And what that means with the isolation ward, patients, because they don't have as much visitors, depending what their isolation is from. If they're COVID, they have no visitors. But um, you need the Wi-Fi in order to talk to your families and to talk to everybody and if it's down, and apparently it's down because somebody has to reset the password mm-hmm. every month, and I wasn't there. <laughs> it's crazy. So it's myself or my or my nurse, infection and then, care. And then you forget what the password is. Oh, I do all the time. Oh, yeah. Yes, I do all the time. Right, right. And there is something, there's something written, mm-hmm. but they say, well, you have to come up with a new one, and it's some complicated right, the, right, way of making exactly. up this new one. Yeah, yeah so, they, they make you change it, and then yes. you, you you change it, and you're never going to remember it again because it's it's something that you don't use all the time, or you you, you come up with one. And they say, oh, you already used that one. You got to use something else, and so literally you're in this state of anxiety all the time because you can't really do your work. You're just thinking of the process of doing your work rather than doing it. So I do experience that, and um, I see a lot of people just saying the heck with it. You know, this is well, I don't need it anymore. And more than a few people mm-hmm. uh, in you know in mid career have decided to do other things because of this constant stress. Definitely, so I think medicine has definitely gotten more and more stressful. Yeah. So, what what advice do you have for either young people just starting in medicine or people who are dealing with these issues? How, you know, what kind of advice do you give them? I think presently. Okay, so when I when I did that mini survey, mm-hmm. um, we actually came and discussed solutions. Mm-hmm. What would they have liked to see? Mm-hmm. I think some of it has to be institutionalized. So there are simple things like people need breaks, mm-hmm. doing two shifts after each other because you're short staff in these times is not helpful. Um, the ambulance drivers brought something out that if they have gone for somebody infectious 
and bring them in at two o'clock in the morning, they need proper places to eat, sleep and change before they go home. Um, if we're dealing with another pandemic, we have to figure out a way that we make sure our staff feel safe enough to go home. And mm -hmm. presently, we don't have that. Mm -hmm. So our staff be as feels very worried that they're going to give it to their relatives. Mm -hmm. Also, more education. I'm not sure about in this country, but in our country with COVID, everybody that looked medical for a while, people were scared and staying far from them and didn't really want to be around them or have them in their community. Sure, sure. Taxis wouldn't take them up if they knew you worked for a hospital. Hmm. It, yeah. No, those are big parts of the stress. So one, one last point that I'll, we'll get to is having other things in life that you can focus on so it's not all about medicine. Well, you need a good support system mm -hmm. and being able to do other things. I think, unfortunately, in a pandemic, everything seems to revolve around the pandemic mm -hmm. and the things that normally you would be able to do, like um, I think we were talking about going to the beach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That becomes more difficult when you have... Restrictions, yeah. Restrictions. And we talked about that. Is something that was head scratching to me is why the authorities were preventing people from going to the beach during COVID when you can monitor social distance there. It's a big place in general. Obviously, you may want to put some restrictions on the number of people that can be at the beach at the same time. But that's probably a pretty safe place to be. Plus, it's good for mental health. It is good. I know in Jamaica, we tried that. Mm -hmm. And we found that people found other ways of going down into the beach. And the numbers got too crowded. They couldn't control it. Even though somehow they were restricted at the gates. Mm -hmm. But, you know, beaches are made open places. People got in and you saw pictures of once they were in, even though you're supposed to say a certain amount apart. They were all together. Well, you need there still needs to be education, education. but uh, I would education. argue that there is the the solution for for too much crowding isn't to close down the beach because they're going to crowd somewhere else, but rather to to try to your best at controlling the numbers and then just educating people. I heard something here though, which we didn't have back home, mm. that you actually were restricted on going on private beaches. Yeah, there was we had was, we, and we also in in the state of Florida. We had county-by-county county restrictions and time restrictions. So uh, you had periods of time where you can go on the beach and then other times where you couldn't. And that got crazy because everybody would rush to the beach at the same time sure. and then it was empty for the rest of the time. So if, if, the, if the beach is going to be a resource for mental health and relaxation and a break from the stresses of day-to-day, -day, then just control the numbers. Or the other thing that actually I thought worked is saying, well, the beach is a place where you have to exercise, you have to be active. We don't want people just to be lying there on top of each other. So um, I thought that was a reasonable recommendation is that mm -hmm. you could have unlimited access as long as you're moving. So that would be, a, in my opinion, a good public health policy rather than saying you can't go to the beach at all. I think you should be able to go down. For us, we didn't restrict the private beaches. Mm -hmm. So private beaches, if there are private paying beaches... Um, there were some restrictions mm -hmm. um, for people that owned houses on the beach. In Jamaica, you actually own your beach to your house, unlike the U.S. where right. it's still open, right, right. which we don't think is great either. But if you do, then you're allowed to go, mm -hmm. um, which I think my kids did a lot. I know Sage took a bunch of people down to friends' beaches. That's my daughter for um, 
so they got to relax a bit. But I think, yes, having, I mean, for us and what I did during COVID, there was a group of us that we got together, a small group, but we mm. made time two or three times a week. We always got together. You, being a doctor, I actually did not have restrictions, so I could be out at any point. But we actually, you know, had mm. stayed where we're supposed to be. Mm. And now, did you focus on any outside hobbies during COVID? I did, well, I was actually, COVID made me very busy because mm-hmm. we had, there are just a few of us doing it, what mm-hmm. we did. So we didn't have that much time. So more my garden and my animals garden. and friends. That's a great hobby. You actually have a tremendous garden. You yes, grow a lot, of neat, a lot of neat foods on your property. Yes. So um, open invitation for anybody listening to this podcast to Lisa's plantation in, uh, Please. in, in but Jamaica. I think growing growing a lot of fruits and your own vegetables it's actually very very helpful watching things grow on your animals being back on nature I mean people are talking about now walking barefoot which I know you don't mm. but there is now this big thing about walking barefoot and getting back to the earth and feeling mm. the proper energies I think it's it does help the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no doubt. Just having a break from your routine, I think, helps. It, it reminds me of of a question I naively asked somebody that was interviewing me during medical school, and they were asking about hobbies. And I said, "Well, is that really important in medical school? Like, you know, I play the piano. So, is that why, why does that matter? I'm not going to become a professional pianist." And they said, "Well, we look at the people we're admitting to medical schools." from a lifetime perspective, not just mm-hmm. from getting through medical school. And it's it's a stressful profession. There's a lot of responsibility. We get privileges, of course, but we have a lot of responsibility. And over the course of a career, you need to take the investment of your education and be able to apply it to the good of the, of the communities. And if you're going to get burnt out halfway through your career, that wasn't a good investment from the standpoint of medical education. So we find that the people who do best are the people who have other outlets. So those are usually your hobbies. So gardening for you, tinkling the keyboards is for me. Yeah, I have a piano. It doesn't do it. I don't do a thing with it. I <laughs> took piano lessons years ago. Okay, well, you give me gardening lessons, I'll give you piano lessons. Oh, definitely, definitely. But I think growing your own fruits and vegetables, actually very, very good. Your own herbs for most most people that cook, your own natural stuff. You know you're not getting any chemicals or anything on it. It's good. Yeah. yeah. And I heard that uh, some of the, uh, the the plant life in your garden also has good effects on your brain outside of just um, you know, the usual effects of making your stomach feel full. Mm-hmm. And that would probably be a topic for our next podcast. True, true, true. Well, thank you so much for being My part pleasure. of this. And thanks for having me. Thanks for watching the MedEvidence Podcast. To watch the rest of this series, head over to medevidence.info or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform.